You're listening to the Bridges Nashville podcast. Bridges is a house church movement meeting in homes all across Music City. To find a house church near you or to find other ways to support or get involved, go to bridgesnashville.com. During the thick of the Civil War, on November 13th, 1861, a letter was written by Reverend M.R. Watkinson to the U.S. Secretary of the Treasury suggesting that we begin to imprint a statement of faith on our national currency that would bring together a divided nation in unity under God. A few short years later, Congress passed an act on April 2nd, uh, 1864, that had the printed words, In God We Trust, uh, on our two-cent coin. Has anyone ever seen a two-cent coin? Me neither. If you find one, hold on to it. It's worth a lot of money. Uh, But since 1938, every U.S. coin has bared that inscription, in God we trust. In fact, in 1956, the president declared a national motto of in God we trust over the United States, and a year later, that phrase was first printed on paper money. Okay, there's your history lesson for today. In God we trust. Who do you trust in? Who are you putting your faith, your hopes, your dreams in? Everyone is born to trust. Did you know from the moment of birth, it only takes a couple of hours before an infant can begin to recognize their mother's voice and instantaneously that bond of trust begins to grow. Our brains are hardwired with a naturally occurring chemical called oxytocin that emits and it's correlated to trust. When you're around people that you trust or in an organization that you trust, your brain emits more oxytocin. When your trust has been broken by an organization or by an individual, anytime you're around that person or organization, less oxytocin is emitted. And this is why if you've ever had a failed investment, uh, you're way less likely to ever invest money again. But if you're lucky enough, or dare I say trusting enough to have success in the stock market, you're way more likely to invest for a second, third, even fourth time, according to research. And every day, trust is required for a million different things that you do from sunup to sundown. When you got in your car this morning, you were trusting that it would start. You were trusting that it would take you from point A to point B. Right now, we are trusting in the people who constructed these chairs and tables that they knew what they were doing so that they won't collapse while we're sitting in them, not to freak you out or anything. For our online family, you guys are trusting that our Wi-Fi won't go out. And depending on what internet provider you have, you may have more or less trust than other people here this morning. Uh, My wife, she's home with our son who's not feeling well this morning. But we have to have trust in our relationship, right? Because marriage takes trust. We have to trust one another to be loyal and faithful. We have to trust our kids when we send them to school that they're going to choose 2% milk over chocolate milk. That takes a lot of trust with a seven-year-old, okay? We have to exercise faith and trust every single day of our lives. But right now, in our culture, would you agree that trust is hard to come by? It's hard to trust in a skeptical and cynical environment when it seems like every single day each news channel is reporting something completely opposite of the others. Every day the headlines seem to be littered with scandals. Trust has been challenged in athletes we look up to, in business leaders we aspire. And sadly, more recently, in high-profile churches, trust has been broken. And trust doesn't come easy. 
And then let's look at our own self. We can't trust in our own self because let's be honest, our flesh will make selfish decisions, usually winding up hurting us. Look what Jeremiah says in 17, verse 9. He says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Okay, so you can't trust in yourself. And you can't put 100% of your trust in other people because, newsflash, people are human, and humans tend to let us down. So is this a message about trust? Yes, it is, because we have to find something worthy, trustworthy, as it says in Philippians, to base our life's foundation. So what, who, how? Glad you asked. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Now, we're going to unpack this verse bit by bit today. This is, without a doubt, my favorite verse in the entire Old Testament. In fact, it's become a life verse for me. This is something I base every single day that I live with. And I think if we can learn to apply this simple passage in Proverbs to our everyday life, we're going to live with a greater degree of trust, giving us a greater degree of peace, leading to a greater legacy of faith. Are you ready to unpack this verse? Ready or not, here we go. First part. Trust in the Lord. There's a story uh, that I recently read about a father and a son during World War II. And during the terrible days of the Blitz in the United Kingdom, a father holding his small son by the hand ran from a building that had just been struck by a bomb. And in the front yard, there was a giant shell hole. Seeking shelter as quickly as possible, the father jumped into the hole and yelled out to his son, Jump! But his son, because of the smoke, couldn't see his father, and he yelled out, Daddy, I cannot see you. And the father, looking at the silhouette of his son, said, Oh, but I can see you. And he jumped to safety in his father's arms. You know, if you've ever done a trust fall, this is an exercise I remember doing in camp, uh, it only works when the people on the other end will catch you. If you can count on them, you can trust fall. And I want to let you know, we have a heavenly father who we can trust. He is a perfect father who always has what's best in mind for us, even when we can't see it, especially when we can't see it. See, that's what faith and trust are all about. When we can't see what's up ahead, we've got to trust in a God who does. Hebrews 11.1, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So understand, we have a father who's good, who's worthy of trust that we can put all of our hope in. But I want to let you know, we also have a real enemy. You see, Satan has had a mission ever since the very beginning to get the people of God to doubt the goodness of God. That's why some of the names for Satan in the Bible are a deceiver, accuser of the brethren, and the father of lies. Let me paint this picture. Adam and Eve are in the garden. God has literally given them paradise with one caveat. Hey, you got all, you can even name everything here and do it in your birthday suits. It's all good, right? There's one rule. You cannot eat from this one tree. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the only rule that the Lord had given them. But look what the enemy does in Genesis chapter 3. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree 
in the garden? Did you catch that? No, that is not what God said. He said, you can eat from anything save one tree. And yet the enemy very quickly twists God's word. And he's been instilling doubt in us ever since this original sin. Listen, when you know that you've heard from the Lord, when you know that you felt the presence of God minister to you and you hang on to that word, don't allow the enemy to come in and twist God's words to get you to doubt. He is good. We've got to trust in the Lord. That's part one of that verse. Second part, with all your heart. That's where it gets a little tricky, right? Because we're really good at giving our heart away in pieces. We're really good at loving in slices. We halfway commit to relationships. We always have a plan B. We say yes to that meeting or to that job offer, but we're keeping one eye out for something better to come along last minute. We give pieces of ourselves to so many things, and oftentimes we wind up disappointed. We don't like to devote ourselves to anything. But God isn't asking for a part of your heart. He wants the whole thing. And that's how this verse works. You've got to trust him with all of your heart. And this all your heart, wholeheartedly, this phrase shows up several times throughout the Bible. Important phrases like Jeremiah 29, 13, where the prophet writes, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I'm just not finding God. I'm just not hearing from God in my quiet times. It takes a wholehearted commitment. And remember the great commandment from Jesus. Jesus said to love the Lord your God with most of your heart, soul, and mind and strength. No. He said to love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So how do we do this? How do we love the Lord with all of our heart? And here's one thing that I would submit to you today. Instead of thinking as Jesus at the top of a list of priorities. Jesus is number one. Then I've got family. I've got my job. I've got church. I've got relationships and everything else. Instead of thinking of Jesus as number one on a laundry list of priorities, what if we place Jesus right smack dab at the center of it all? If we put Jesus at the center of our lives and we've got church, we've got family, we've got career, we've got relationships, we've got dreams and hopes, and everything has to filter through the lens of Jesus at the center, he wants to be your everything. He wants to be a part of everything that's in your life. If it's important to you, it's important to him. Do you know why? Because he's your dad. He's your father. He wants all of you, just like John Legend sings. I could attempt that, but it wouldn't come near to John. Now, here's what's wild about Proverbs 3. Solomon wrote Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Solomon, we all know, wisest man in the history of humanity. I mean, he had nations and queens and kings coming to him just to hear words of advice, wealth beyond imagination. He wrote the books of Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, and Song of Solomon. And yet, he fell as a fool in the end. This is so sad. Catch what it says in 1 Kings 11, 3 and 4. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. That is a lot of birthday presents. Uh, and his wives, watch this turned his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord, his God, as his father, David, had been. So the very person who wrote, trust in the Lord with all your heart, ends up 
giving his heart to so many different pieces. And here's the sad part about it. His son, Rehoboam, becomes king after him. And Rehoboam begins to tear apart and give away the kingdom. Solomon's legacy was destroyed because he wasn't wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord. And Rehoboam begins this long list of kings in the Old Testament where it says this little phrase, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And it all goes back to a decision that Solomon made to not be wholeheartedly devoted. We've got to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. And part of the how comes in the very next phrase. Lean not on your own understanding. Do we have any control freaks in the house? Just me? Cool. Okay, I've seen a few brave hands, right? Now, we love to control the situation naturally. When we face hardship, when we face difficulties, we try to figure things out on our own, don't we? And when we get that health scare, instead of hitting our knees first thing in prayer, we go to the internet and look up on WebMD or we call our physician to figure things out, right? When our finances get tough, the first thing out the window is generosity and tithing, right? Because we want to figure out everything. I'm getting real this morning. Is that okay? Is that all right to poke and prod a little bit? But we like to th- think of things in our own understanding. We've got to figure this out. How, how are we going to make this work? Have you ever said that? Guilty as charged. How are we going to figure this thing out? But leaning not on your own understanding goes against our natural way of thinking. Maybe today you're facing an impossible situation. Whether you're here in the listening room or joining us online, maybe you're at a wall. And you cannot see ahead. You can't figure out the next step, and you don't know what to do. I'm reminded of one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. In Exodus, Moses had a similar situation. Let me give you guys a little bit of context here. Uh, Moses was called by God, given the Holy Spirit, to lead Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. Didn't know how they would get there. Just knew that God would make a way. Because God had shown his power. How? Ten plagues that he displayed his epic power to Egypt. Now, here's what you have to understand about these ten plagues. They each correlate to an Egyptian god. And so God was saying, look, I'm the God, capital G, over all of these little gods, lowercase g. Here's what happened. He turned the Nile into blood. The Egyptians worshipped the Nile River. One of their goddesses, Heket, was the goddess of fertility. She had the head of a frog. What did God send a plague of? Frogs. They didn't like frogs after that. God was showing that he was the only one worthy of worship, that he was stronger than all of these phonies. So he delivers them from Egypt to bring them to a promised land. And then they hit the Red Sea. (laughs) I wish I was there on that day. Sometimes all we can see is the dream, the vision, the promise that God's given us, but we don't always understand that we're going to have to go through some speed bumps to get there. We don't always understand that it may just take a miracle to get to the promise. So God had something up his sleeve. How does God build faith in us? Does he just give it to us? Or does he put us in a situation that necessitates faith? We all want to see a miracle, but very few of us want to be in a situation that demands one, right? Moses had already seen God do the impossible through the plagues and through the burning bush in the desert. So what looks like a dead end to most people, Moses knew this is about to be a one-way street. 
Now, in his own understanding, without trusting in the Lord, we can come up with some stories. It might have made sense to surrender to the Egyptian army. Hey, guys, sorry about those 10 plagues. Would you take us back, right? Maybe they would have mercy on them. Or maybe Moses would start building a boat to get across the Red Sea. I mean, hey, it worked for Noah, right? But listen to me. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you always lean on your own strength and understanding, you will always forfeit the opportunity to see a miracle. Can I say that again? If you only lean on your own strength and understanding, you will always forfeit the opportunity to see the miraculous. Moses had to trust that God would make a way and lean not on his own understanding. Next part. But in all your ways, acknowledge him. Some translations say submit to him. But this word acknowledge, it comes from the Hebrew verb yada. And this means to know and be known intimately. This is to revere, to respect. It's a, it's a term of intimacy. In fact, it's the same term that's used throughout the Bible to describe the relationship between a husband and a wife, the deepest form of knowing another. When we deeply know someone, and in this case, when we yada, when we deeply know the Father's heart, not just what we've read about him or heard about him, but we know him, we can trust. If you're taking notes, write this down. Trust, this is good, trust is built on experience and relationship. Trust is built on experience and relationship. Uh, Sarah and I, we just celebrated 16 years of marriage. Yeah, you can make some noise for that. And, And listen, we trust each other. We trust each other. And the more life that we've lived together, working with with each other, navigating life's challenges, like sick kids on a Sunday morning, the more that we've helped each other and that we've walked this life alongside each other, the more trust we have. Why? Because of the relationship that we have. She's my wife. I'm her husband. We are for one another. We love this thing. Whenever our arguments get uh, passionate, uh, we say, I am not your enemy, right? We are for one another. We have a relationship. There is no hiding. And we also have trust because we have experience. 16 years, we've been through hard times. We have been dirt poor together. We've been sick. We've had health and financial scares. We've had people let us down and major upsets, but we've never left each other's side. Now magnify this infinitely when it comes to God. And ask yourself today, what's your experience been with God? What's your relationship like with him today? Has he been good? Has he been faithful? Has God ever let you down? Now, listen, I'm not asking, have you ever been disappointed? Because life happens and you will face disappointments. I promise you that. But could I submit something to you? When we face a disappointment in life, I wonder if more often than not, it's because it doesn't add up to our game plan. And not always was it in his game plan. Now, fortunately, God is so good and sovereign that he can work out all things according to Romans 8. But most of the time, what we see as a setback, God is using it as a setup. And what we view as a disappointment, he's using it as a detour. Case in point, in 2004, I had just graduated from college. I went to school at Virginia Tech uh, for finance and music, and then I became a poor musician. I don't know how that worked, but... uh, 
I knew that I wanted to do music full time. And so I did what made logical sense. I tried out for American Idol, right? And this is the original judges, Randy, Paula, and Simon. And to my surprise, I ended up making it onto the show, made it pretty far, top 40. And, and I began to think, this is how God is going to use me. I mean, this is how I'm going to spread the gospel. I'm going to be the American Idol. I should have known something in the name, Idol. But I was so excited, and I thought this was my big chance to make it. And what happened was I made it to the very last day in Hollywood week, and I got cut. And I, I just couldn't believe it. Utter shock, utter disbelief. I go to my hotel room, and I'm 21 years old. I thought my music career was done. There's no, there's, this is it. This is it. Never mind you. American Idol hadn't existed three years prior to that. So how did everybody else do it? I don't know. But I remember getting on the phone and calling my dad. And I just told him my utter disappointment. I said, Dad, I blew it. I let you guys down. I let myself down. I let God down. And he said, Curtis, if this isn't what God has for you, just imagine what he does. Whoo. And that phrase right there was a game changer. Because I had to decide, was I going to lean on my own understanding? Was I going to trust in myself? Or was I going to believe in a God who's never let me down? He's got something bigger in store. I had to trust him with whatever came next. See, with everything that we do in every circumstance, the ups, the downs, the good times, and the hard times, we need to lean into that father-son or father-daughter relationship and know that he is good and he's working out all things for your good and for his glory, Romans 8, 28. Because God never promised that we wouldn't hit hard times. In fact, it says in James chapter 1 that it's the testing of our faith, the testing of our faith that produces perseverance. Oh, you're going to need some perseverance, especially in days like 2021. We need the hard times to build our trust. Think about it. If you got everything you ever wanted and ever asked for, what would be the need for faith? If it all just came easy, why would you trust in God? Jesus actually said, in this life you will have trouble. But he didn't leave it there. He said, take heart for I have overcome the world. And my guess is there are stories all across this room. You're either in a storm right now, you just came out of a storm, or surprise, surprise, you're heading into one. And I want to let you know that if God brought you through before, he will do it again because of his experience and relationship with you. He is faithful. We ask, God, would you take me out of the storm? And he says, no, I'm going to bring you through it. He's teaching us to trust this is why I would recommend keeping a journal, a written track record of God's faithfulness in your life. When God answers an amazing prayer, when he does a miracle in your life, write it down so that you can go back to it. When you get into those moments where it's really hard to see ahead and it's really hard to trust, you can write it down and say, man, that was crazy when God did that. You know, our three-year anniversary is in two weeks right back here at the listening room. You don't, yeah, come on, make some noise. Three years we have survived. We're just getting started. But at that three-year anniversary, we're going to have baptisms. We're going to share some testimony. I cannot wait to share some of the miracle moments that have marked the journey of people in this room that have marked our church because I have written those down and I've just been challenged in my own faith to go back and say, man, that was crazy when God did that. Would he do it again? You have to believe that this Red Sea moment for Moses 
maybe chiseled down in a journal. He was good at chiseling words, right? Because times would get hard. When he was in the desert with the vision of the promised land, he could go back to that Red Sea moment and recall a time where God split a giant body of water and made a walkway right through it. And you would think that the nation of Israel would also remember But how quickly are they and how quickly are we to forget God's miracles and his wondrous workings in our life? Because it was just three days later that they were finding themselves in another scenario that necessitated faith. They were thirsty. They were in a desert. And they begin to complain. We tend to remember what we should forget. And we tend to forget what we should remember. Right? This is why it was so important that they had altars and festivals, and holy days established so that the people could remember when they passed by the altar set up at the River of Jordan, they remembered that God split the River Jordan so they could walk on dry ground. When they celebrated the Festival of Booths, they remembered when they lived in literal booths out in the desert, and God provided manna and quail. And when we remember Easter, we remember the resurrection. When we have Christmas celebration, we remember the miracle at the manger. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Then comes the best part. I close with today's promise. He will direct your path. Another translation says, he will make your paths straight. God will remove any obstacle that's standing in your way. Listen, God wants you to get where you're supposed to be more than you want to get where you're supposed to be. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He has a path. And as our worship team is making their way back, I want to remind you that our part is trust and obedience. In fact, next week, as we continue this series, both online with the message and in house churches where we unpack everything, I'm going to share about trust and obey. It's this two-step process, and it's the entire key to the Christian life. It's part two. Don't miss that. We're also going to be doing a 14-day Bible reading plan, and I think we have a QR code. If you have a smartphone, you can lift it up, and I would encourage everybody here to join this Bible reading plan because as a church, when we get into the Word of God together, we grow as disciples. We grow in our faith, but this is a 14-day Bible reading plan that's all about trusting in God, and every morning, our our staff is going to be doing uh, devotionals on our Instagram page to just encourage you guys to get into the word and to trust in God. So make sure you sign up on that. If you're watching online, you can also join that 14-day Bible reading plan on our Instagram profile link. So be sure to join us. Last thing I'll say. Uh, Last month, I was in Pennsylvania at a wonderful church teaching a worship conference. And at the very end, we took some Q&As. And most of them were music-related questions. But one guy lifted his hand, and he asked this question. He said, How do you not get overwhelmed right now with everything that's going on? It's a good question. I would think it's a question many of us are asking. How do you not get overwhelmed right now with everything that's going on? And the answer is trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. And when God orders your footsteps, you will not slip. He orders good steps. Christ is the solid rock on which we stand. 
Everything else is sinking sand. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the Bridges Nashville podcast. To stay up to date on everything going on at Bridges, you can find us online at facebook.com slash Bridges Nashville or at Bridges Nashville on Instagram.